0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome to another edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast, Critical Discussions in Critical Times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Uh, Things are going crazy all over the world. We've talked about some of the the global problems that are going on and talked about those extensively, of course, on on podcasts over the last couple of days. Uh, But here in Ontario, uh, there's a lot happening too. And uh, this is a very, very uh, pivotal time, I think, for Ontario politics in so many different ways. And uh, Joining us to talk about some of the the goings-on, shall we say, at Queen's Park over the last couple of days in particular, we are pleased to welcome to the podcast Mike Schreiner. Mike, of course, is the MPP for Guelph and the leader of the Ontario Green Party. Uh, Michael, great to talk with you again. Thanks so much for making some time for us today.
1: Oh, hey, Bill. My pleasure to be on, and uh, good to to see you doing a podcast nowadays.
0: Well, it's uh, something that we've always kind of shot for and thought, hey, this is going to be great, and uh, now that we're doing it and we've got both feet into it, I'm just loving it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and we're still talking about some of the key issues. And, and you talk about flashpoints and play word association. And all you need to say around Queen's Park these days is greenbelt. And you get a very, very passionate discussion uh, about that. Uh, and uh, if you don't like uh, the government's policy about the green belt, well, just wait a couple of weeks because they're probably going to change it. That, that seems to be the modus operandi. Give us, Mike, your read on what's gone on about that in the last couple of days, especially.
1: Well, we've seen major backtracks from the government on what I would call Greenbelt 1.0. And now we're seeing them backtrack on Greenbelt 2.0. And I think what they're trying to do is get out ahead of the next scandal that could be rocking this government. uh, And that's why they've reversed uh, their decision to enforce urban boundary expansions on to many communities across Ontario, including Hamilton and Ottawa, wealth waterloo region wellington like the alton region the list goes on and on and i think it's because the exact same corrupt decision making process that led to the corrupt decision to open the Greenbelt for development so a handful of wealthy well-connected Ford insiders could cash in 8.3 billion dollars is happening with these enforced urban boundary expansions and i think the government's trying to get out ahead of that scandal um, as more information becomes available to the public.
0: No, I understand, you know, that the change is a certain part of politics. You know, the old Churchill quote, uh, you know, those who don't change don't change anything. I get that. But this is a different read on change, isn't it, Mike? I mean... You know, first of all, there was, you know, I'm never going to touch the green belt. I'm never going to touch the green belt. What was it, 38 times? I think he said that publicly anyway. God knows how many times behind, well, maybe not at all behind closed doors because of what he eventually did. Uh, but they were adamant about that. And then he was he did it and he said it's absolutely necessary uh, and it's not going to change. And, well, it changed. And then, of course, we already know what happened with the, the urban boundary expansion at the same time. It's not as if they say, oh, you know what? You've raised some legitimate points. Let's reassess this. They just said, no, no, no. And then the next day they said, yeah, we're going to do it now. Uh, Where's the credibility in a situation like that?
1: Well, there is no credibility, Bill. Uh, I mean, basically, the premier got caught, uh, you know, supporting a corrupt process that led to a corrupt decision to help a handful of Ford connected wealthy elites cash in $8.3 billion dollars. And we know there's more to come. And that's why they've reversed course now on urban boundary expansions and they're reviewing ministerial zoning orders. And Bill, what is so infuriating about what is happening right now is the government has wasted essentially the last two years uh, not addressing the housing affordability crisis, which is the number one issue facing people in Ontario. It's the number one uh, driver of the cost of living crisis that we're facing. And instead of having a premier, focused on building homes that ordinary people can afford in the communities they want to live in on land that's already approved for development. We already have enough land approved for development. Um, the premier instead has been focusing in on breaking the rules, rolling out the red carpet so a handful of wealthy, well-connected elite land speculators can cash in. And that's just wrong. And Bill, I want to be very clear. You know what? I admire politicians who change their mind. I mean, Certainly I've had, you know, people come to me and I, you know, get additional information and my my position may evolve on a certain issue. But for the premier to spend the last two years saying things like, you know, the green belt is a scam. It was, you know, imposed on us like, like you know, like a Russian dictator or North Korean dictator would impose it on their citizens, and just some of the outlandish and outrageous comments the premier has made. Uh, and then for him to just quickly reverse course and say, oh, nothing to see here. We're ready to move on. Well, I think the people of Ontario deserve honest answers to how this corrupt process can happen. And they need to hold the premier accountable. And I'm certainly going to hold the premier accountable for the fact that they've wasted um, the last, it's been two years almost since their own handpicked housing affordability task force put forward a number of recommendations on how to address the housing affordability crisis. And the premier's pretty much ignored those, gone in a completely different direction, and is now saying, oh, everything I've done over the last two years was a big mistake, we're gonna reverse course. Meanwhile, people in Ontario are struggling to be able to pay the rent or find an affordable place to buy.
0: But uh, the excuses, and they're not reasons; they're excuses that he has used in this. Just don't seem to hold any water, Mike. And I think that's what really pisses off an off awful lot of people here: is how stupid does he think we are? You know, when he when, first of all he says, "Yeah, we made a mistake. Uh, there were some flaws in the process. What well, was their process?" Well, they designed it. Of course, I know the ministerial orders were there in the, fa- the past, but this is a government that's taken some of those tools and abused them. I mean, as you and I have talked about in the past, they've used those ministerial zoning orders more in the last two years than, than any government has for the last 50. And it's simply a matter of just jamming stuff through. And, you know, we the hell of process. And you write about the for- Housing Affordability Task Force. Uh, Tim Hudak was in charge of that. Uh, a conservative, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives. I had Tim on the show many times talking about this, and uh, I know he's a very thorough guy, and they came up with, I thought, a pretty legitimate report. It got tossed in the blue bin someplace. They did the same thing with the autism report just after Ford got elected the first time. The the autistic funding was just horrendous, and they put a task force together. They came up with, I thought, some pretty decent recommendations. They were ignored totally. Like, why bother yeah. going through the process if you're not going to pay attention to the recommendations for the people that you appointed to that? It doesn't make
1: any well, sense. Well, exactly. And in, in the case of
0: um, the autism program,
1: I mean, there are now 60,000 young people on a waiting list to access uh, autism services in the province of Ontario. And every parent knows that early intervention is where when you get the best outcome. And so imagine being a parent your child is diagnosed to be on the autism spectrum and you're waiting years to access funding for services. And many of those parents, those who can, you know, pay out of pocket, but the costs are so high that most people can't afford that. And, you know, I've met with numerous families who, you know, remortgage their homes or, you know, barely being able to, you know, meet their month to month payments. Uh, and are are just desperate to access the Ontario Autism Program because they know how important early intervention is. And and the Ford government has just allowed the list to balloon out of control. And then for some uh, children who are on the list, it's not a needs-based program. And so some kids need additional services. Some need less services. That's not accounted for. And then the program ages uh, young people out. That's wrong. So on so many levels, when it comes to things like addressing the housing affordability crisis, or the affordability crisis in general, things like access, accessing autism services, healthcare services, etc. You know, the four governments really let the people of Ontario down.
0: Well, and I talked to the minister in charge, of, I believe it was Lisa McLeod at that time, uh, and because uh, there were some very important questions about that. And you, you raised, I think, one of the most contentious issues about that file. Uh, you age out of it. So in other words, at 15, I guess you don't have autism anymore. It doesn't impact your life anymore. I mean, what a a stupid thing to put in there. But it was all about, and it always has been with this government, it's about money. Uh, where they want to allocate their resources and to whom they want to allocate their resources. They're not going to say we're going to make a better program for those families. We're not going to say we're going to protect our environment for the future. They're just like, okay, this is how much we're going to spend. And here's who's going to be the beneficiary of that. And that seems to be the main focus for this government. And that's that's troubling. I mean, that's that's going back to the old days of of politics. You know, the the big bosses and who had the biggest envelope full of money for them. Uh, I hate to say that's what's going on here, but you know, Mike, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck,
1: well, a- a- absolutely, Bill. And in, in, in the case of envelopes, I mean, we've had both the Auditor General and the Integrity Commissioner um, show how uh, well-connected, wealthy insiders literally handed envelopes to you know staff members in the Ford government, directing government policy that would enable them to cash in, in the case of the Greenbelt, $8.3 billion in windfall profits. Like That just isn't how we want a government to operate. It's not fair to the people of Ontario. It's actually not fair to other developers who are playing by the rules and don't have special access to the Ford government. And all of it is delaying uh, the building of homes that people can afford at a time when we're facing you know, the worst housing crisis our province has ever faced.
0: Well, and they didn't really seem to get that right either, did they? And and by the way, I I, I always have to put this into the conversation, and I will again. Uh, not everybody who builds houses in this province is corrupt. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the overwhelming majority play by the rules, and they they complain about them sometimes, but they play by the rules. Uh, there's a handful that think that they can have easy access, and that's problematic. Uh, and, and at a, a critical time like this, when we should be bringing those people to the table and working with them, he's alienating the, the whole industry and... He's turning an awful lot of the public opinion against development which which is not a bad thing as long as it's done smartly, which is one of the reasons by the way that the Green belt was instituted in the first place so there could be smart growth. they they don't seem to get the big picture here.
1: Well exactly and yeah I want to like you Bill I want to be very clear uh, most developers are good business people who want to build homes and they need to make a living building those homes to pay their staff and and themselves, etc. And so for the Ford government to give preferential access and special treatment to a handful to cash in literally billions of dollars in windfall profits, um, it taints the whole industry w- with a brush that, you know, I think other developers resent. And, and yeah, we need developers. My gosh, we're in a housing crisis. We need homes built. They need to be built in the right places and they need to be built according to to rules. That you know ensure the affordability of our cities, ensure we protect our farmland, wetlands, and forests because you know that land is vital to growing our food and protecting us from extreme weather events like flooding and other climate-related events. Um, and so, it just needs to be done right, and that's why you need to follow a proper process uh, that's fair to all developers.
0: Uh, which I hope we're going to get back to. Uh spins around to the legislation that was introduced just a couple of days ago. Uh, Paul kalander's is now the, the the minister in charge of this thing. He seems to get all the trouble things And here. You go fix long-term care. Uh, he didn't, by the way, but he's out of that portfolio now. Uh, and now he's into municipal affairs and housing. But first blush that you've had at the legislation that they said was going to, quote, unquote, fix this problem. It's basically kind of a cover your butt piece of legislation, isn't it? That says, yeah, we're going to reverse this right now, but you can't sue us and you can't come after us for money they're basically trying to cover their own selves so that there there's no legal liability here but that's not really a, a very assuring that this is the long-term solution that we were looking for
1: oh well, well yeah this this uh, legislation is definitely uh, a cover cover your your butt uh, piece of legislation and you know the ironic thing of it is is let's protect the green belt from Doug Ford is really what the bill <laughs> could be called. Uh, you know, let's let's try to figure out how we keep Premier Ford's hands off the green belt. Um, you know, I think at first blush, the, the legislation is frankly better than I thought it was going to be, but I think there are some things that can improve it. And I'm gonna be moving forward some amendments. So for example, um, there are conservation easements on all of the Duffin Rouge agricultural preserve land. I fully support that they were there until the Ford government took them away. But why not put those conservation easements on all lands in, in the green belt, because it would add an additional layer of protection. And then one of the loopholes that's been in the green belt since it was first enacted by the liberals is that um, infrastructure projects can happen. Um, and, and, you know, there's really not like nothing anyone can do about it. The government can just move them forward. And I understand the need for some infrastructure, but. You know, my gosh, do we need a 400 series highway like 413 that's going to pave over, you know, 400 acres of the Greenbelt and 2,000 acres of prime farmland and unleash expensive sprawl uh, in the whole region? Um, Or do we need another mega quarry in Caledon uh, in the heart of the Greenbelt? And so I think there needs to be additional protections uh, in the Greenbelt Act to say that we're truly going to, to protect this land
0: and I get that because I know their their excuse was well you know there have been a number of different changes to the green belt over the years but that was designed by legislation they said every few years there's going to be a reevaluation of it and and maybe we got that right maybe we can tweak this I mean one of the examples you used to use about infrastructure uh was the highway six extension to Hamilton International Airport uh that that was supposedly protected land well you've got the biggest cargo airport in Canada and there's nowhere to get it there uh, so how do you get the goods out? So that that was a good idea. That was a smart thing to do. Uh, to get get that highway six extension. It's it's helped the airport and and everybody's yeah. benefited from that. But again, you know, I know you've talked an awful lot about the the, the extension on the highways that the government, the Ford government's talking about doing right now. They didn't even go through that environmental process. They just rubber stamp them and say we're going to build it. If you don't like it, too bad. So sad. And the Bradford bypass is going through. This other one is going through. I don't know how they're going to fund it right now. Uh, but but that's the abuse of the system that I think people are finally opening their eyes to and say, wait a second, that's not how government is supposed to work.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, you have laws in place like the Environmental Assessment Act to ensure that when you do build infrastructure, it's done in a proper way, not only uh, to the benefit of the environment, which is obviously critically important, but also the benefit of the surrounding community to make sure that community infrastructures in a way that minimizes disruption to people and their lives and ensures that we maximize benefits for people and and communities. You know, one of the things I've been really pushing on today that's slightly connected to this is a year ago with Bill 23, not only did the government open the greenbelt for development, which has blown up in their face, but they also took away development charges from uh, municipalities. And according to the Association Municipality of Ontario, Uh, All municipalities across the province, with the exception of Toronto, it's going to remove $5.1 billion from their budgets, which is vital money needed to service the building of new homes so that we have, you know, stormwater and wastewater and water lines and, you know, transit and streets and police and fire stations and libraries and parks and other things. So how the heck are we going to build homes uh, that people can afford if we don't, if municipalities don't have the money to service those homes. I don't know about you, I want running water in my home. Yeah. I want basic sewer and sanitation in my home. And and so the fact that the government's taking that away from municipalities is actually going uh, to make it harder and more difficult and delay uh, home building construction. And, and so there's a whole host of ways in which The government has put forward impediments to building more homes, which is only making the housing crisis worse.
0: And slowing it down, which is causing all sorts of other problems. But the key word here, I guess, and I know you've talked about this often on some of your social media posts, is affordability. If they're going to remove those those costs to the developers for, for servicing and things of this nature, it falls onto the property taxpayers. Well, already... I don't know how many you've talked to probably into the hundreds of thousands of people that said, you know, my, I just had to renew my mortgage. It's double what it was six months ago now. Uh, and now you're telling me the development charges are going to go onto on my property taxes. People are at the point now where they're, they're saying, look, I I got to walk away. I can't afford this house anymore. I, I never thought exactly. we'd see that here in Ontario, but here we are.
1: Yeah. What, um, I've been trying to, and I asked this question the legislature to earlier today and you know, the premier of course didn't answer it, but, uh, that we are going to price people out of their homes. Um, because when property taxes go up too much, um, then that affects people's rent, because that flows through yeah. directly to renters and the cost of home ownership, especially for people on fixed incomes. And I'm mean, especially thinking of seniors, um, it just means that they may not be able to continue to afford their home. And so, you know, if the province wants to remove development charges, uh from new construction then the province needs to uh pay for the infrastructure uh for that growth and the servicing of those new homes that's how it used to be done in ontario and when the province said oh hey we don't want to pay for that infrastructure anymore and municipalities rightfully said well hey the property taxpayer can't afford it that's when development charges were brought in so if the province is going to take that away then they're going to have to replace that funding or they're just going to make life even less affordable for people
0: well, and we're seeing that in Hamilton Council, Guelph Council, Toronto Council. i am talked with the Toronto City Manager, Paul Johnson, who's a, an old friend of ours from years gone by. Uh, and he says they're facing the same problem. It's problematic. Property taxes, which is how municipalities generate their revenue, is the most prohibitive tax in the world. I mean, most other income taxes, provincial and federal, is based on how much money you make. If you make more money, supposedly you pay more tax, et cetera. But property tax is not based on your ability to pay They just give you the bill and said, that's your address, Mike. Here's how much your taxes are, buddy. I'll pony up. And if you can't afford it, what are you going to do? There's not a whole lot of options here, are there? Exactly, exactly.
1: And so um, I'm deeply, deeply worried that if the province doesn't fix this and fix it soon, because as you know, municipalities are moving into their budget process. So I know I was looking through some of the budget documents for the City of Guelph, and and this is going to cost them $227 million just for the city of Guelph. Well. So imagine what it's going to be like for Hamilton and Toronto and, you know, other Mississauga, other larger municipalities. The number is going to even be significantly higher. We are going to, the Ford government is is either going to impose major property tax increases on to people that they simply can't afford. Or municipalities are simply going to say, well, we want to build more homes, but we can't because we don't have the money to pay for the infrastructure needed for these new homes.
0: I got uh, one other thing, and I'm kind of going off sideways here for just a second, but I know it's a a very controversial issue uh, that's been going on and developing at Queen's Park over the last couple of days uh, to do with the dismissal of an MPP from Hamilton, as it turns out. Uh, Sarah Jama has been essentially removed from the NDP caucus, uh, and that's an internal party issue as, as far as I'm concerned. I know it's very controversial, and I know there was a lot of debate uh, behind closed doors, but NDP leader Mart Stiles finally decided to remove her. Uh, and I don't want to get too deeply into that, because that's that's an NDP issue, and we'll talk about that with them. But more importantly, there was also a, a, a government initiative, a Doug Ford initiative, to censure the MPP. Now, this was before she was even booted out of the party, as I understand it, uh, that was before the House. It passed, because the P- PCs have a majority government. Uh, but I saw some of your posts on social media, Mike, and you had some concerns about process in this whole situation, and about whether that motion should even have been brought forward. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, you know, Bill, first of all, I uh, just fully condemn the terrorist ta- attack uh, from Hamas onto Israeli civilians and, you know, killing and taking people hostages is, is just flat out wrong. And so I called on MPP Jama to uh, remove her t- tweet that was harmful to the Jewish community. That being said, um, I think we need to proceed very cautiously when it comes to censoring an MPP. So I voted against the Ford government's motion to basically that basically said to MPP JAMA that, you know, you can't speak in the legislature, which essentially is saying to the people of Hamilton Center that they don't have a voice in the legislature. And I think it's for them to determine, not me to determine uh, and, you know, the the legislature and some people have uh, made this comparison, um, did censure Randy, MPP Randy Hillier uh, in uh, going into the 2022 20, uh, election uh, for a number of inflammatory things he said on Twitter. But one of the differences there was, you know, we all gave MPP Hillier a number of warnings, letters, opportunities to apologize that wasn't afforded to in Jama. And, and I think you should always, from a democratic standpoint, always proceed cautiously um, when it's other legislators, especially those of us from other parties, telling another member that, you know, they can't speak in the legislature because we disagree with their views on an issue. And I think what what's really hurtful Uh, and I worry about um, what's come out of the debate on this, Bill, is that we have an alarming rise in antisemitism and Islamophobia in Ontario right now, inflamed by what's happening in the Middle East. And I just really call on MPPs from all parties, let's all come together and let's stand with the Jewish community. Let's stand with the Palestinian community and the broader um, Arabic and Muslim community And say that, you know, regardless of what's going on in the world, we here in Ontario, we're going to stand together against hate. We're going to ensure that everyone in our communities are feeling safe. And I can guarantee you there are a number of members of our Jewish community and our Palestinian communities who are not feeling safe right now. And I think that's a serious issue we need to address. But I don't think we're going to address it through um divisive debate in the house we're going to address it by coming together and speaking as one voice against anti-semitism and islamophobia
0: but it wasn't even it wasn't even debate in the house though i guess that's the thing that really rattles my cage here it was on social media uh she (laughs) made some comments and then the premier made some comments (laughs) about her uh in troubled times such as we're in these days and god knows uh what's happening in the middle east what's happening in ukraine what's going on in in with the uyghurs all over the world Uh, you look to your elected leaders for leadership here don't you i mean that's where you want everybody to say not not ignore this but let's calm down and let's let's talk about this instead you've got these two throwing grays at each other and that's only going to inflame this whole discussion in the debate it doesn't become a debate anymore it becomes a matter of who's going to out hate the other guy
1: Yeah, and that's what what just was so um, discouraging about how this all has played out over the last few days. And and like I said, Bill, like I I participated the other day in a in a bridging group that brought people of all faiths in my community in Guelph together to have some real heartfelt conversations about how we support each other uh, regardless of our religious ethnic. Um, background. And um, I think that's what we need in Ontario right now, uh, because I really am alarmed by the rising uh, reports of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia we're seeing in the province right now.
0: Uh, More to come on this, I'm sure, over the days and weeks ahead. Uh, Mike, as always, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for being part of the podcast today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Bill.
0: Anytime. Thank you, Mike Schreiner, of course, MPP for Guelph and the leader of the Ontario Green Party. And that's it uh, for this edition of the Bill Kelly podcast. Thanks for listening. And by the way, thank you for subscribing too. That number is growing daily, and that's great to see. Now, you can get this podcast, uh, news updates, of course, and more exclusive content by subscribing to the Substack. And as always, we welcome your comments and your suggestions. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, X, and Instagram at This Is Bill Kelly. Until next time, I'm Bill Kelly. Take care. We'll talk again soon. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Rebecca Wisons is a 20-time winner of the Hamilton Reader's Choice Awards for their exceptional client care and legal practice specializing in personal injury, car accidents, accidental falls, and Wilson Estates. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with the will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wisons, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wisons and Wisons Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife, and I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizen's Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Subscribe to my Substack for timely news updates and commentary straight to your inbox. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know what you think we should be talking about next by contacting me through my website at www.billkelly.co. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care.